We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, for one night, for one brief moment in time, not even one night, for one half, the Lakers were fun. But not without a lot of drama and not with a lot of things happening in between. First and foremost, LeBron enters health and safety protocols. Uh, you know, best wishes to him. Best uh, good luck to him as he goes through that. You know, his health is is first and foremost. But from a basketball perspective, it's it's one of those like ah, oh, we're back to where we were, right? That we it's one thing after another. It's been a very frustrating season, and that's been something that all of us have felt on on every level. But the Lakers come out in that third quarter after. DeAndre Jordan gets benched early in the game, D. Yeah. Dwight Howard, after having a good first half as well, he was not part of the reason why we were down by nine. Malik hits another freaking 45-footer to end the half, right, yeah. and gets it down to single digits. Dwight Howard starts the second half, and we've been talking a lot about Dwight and DJ, especially in our text thread, right? And I've been worried, man. I've been like... Because I, I appreciate Dwight Howard I, and what he brings to the table. The fact that he wasn't on the top 75 of all time is a travesty. We, that can be a whole other rant I'll put to the side for now. But Dwight Howard is a defensive player, is one of the great fives of all time. One of the great big bigs defensively in NBA history. What I've been worried about from watching tape and has been kind of the fuel for a lot of the conversations we've had, D, is like, I think Dwight might be washed. Like it happens. It happens <laughs> to every great athlete, right? It happens. It's not. And Dwight still has the know-how. He still has a lot of the attributes, but every all-time great, it eventually happens. And so that's where I've been at with him. That half that he played is not only the best shift that any true five has played for us this season. It is a couple of tiers better than the, the next best shift. 
Talk to me about what you saw from a classic Dwight Howard game last night. So just to add a little bit more to the context that you were even saying there, Pete, like the stuff about Dwight, he's looked slow, particularly on offense. It's shown up defensively too, but it's shown up in some weird lineups where there's a lot of other foot speed issues on the court and he hasn't been able to compensate in ways where it's just like, oh, that's not Alex Caruso and KCP flying around with you. That's Wayne Ellington and Carmelo Anthony. And it's sort of just like, hey, there's maybe not enough out here to help Dwight, right? Mm -hmm. And so Dwight can help you in real specific ways because he is strong as hell and he is physical and he will knock dudes around. But he may need somebody to like sprint out to the corner for him while he's communicating like, I'm going to stay here. You need to go over there. But when no one is making that rotation, then he's been struggling. I just sort of wanted to give the context a little bit. Dwight last night, it was a sort of a throwback, I thought, to the 2019 playoffs, Mike, where he um, played against Jokic and sort of raised up his energy level and physicality level and brought a combination of enough physical tools and all of this defensive know-how and just a ton of effort. You had sort of mentioned to us in our thread that even before the walk-off stuff that it was probably looking like Dwight wasn't supposed to play last night. And then in his walk-off with you, he's explaining like, yeah, you know, coach was saying I wasn't really supposed to play. (laughs) And then now I'm in. And so it's just more like you got to stay ready because when your number gets called, you got to be ready to go out there. And he sort of seemed to channel that idea of I wasn't supposed to play. But now that I am going to play, I'm going to show y'all why I should have been playing. He played almost every single minute of the second half. I thought it was every minute. There was a little stretch on the rewatch. I was like, oh, Dwight came out. But that's a statement in in and of itself. He played the whole damn half. And so, Mike, talk to us a little bit about like Dwight from your perspective, too. Like you're there and the rotation seemed to be shifting away from him. And now he got sort of thrust back into the middle of things. And he took advantage of that in a major way, I thought. Yeah, so he played 22 minutes and 47 seconds in the second half, and it was a plus 30. And the only thing that makes that seem ridiculous is that Malik Monk was a plus 41 in the second half. And a, and a thing that I think a an underrated part, there was the substitution for DeAndre, and we, we're going to get to that, sort of why, because Vogel discussed it without naming DeAndre after the game. But he also pulled THT. Um, in the or, sorry, so THT played two minutes and 34 seconds in the second half, which I which I think is when he put Monk in, and that basically started the just complete cascade of Lakers defense plus offense and, and all of it. And they ran away from there and get a 26 point win. So, but to keep on Dwight for a second at the hotel, I usually work out like some somewhere around the middle of the day. And so I go down to the weight room at the the hotel that we're staying at. And there's Dwight Howard getting like an actual workout in. And usually by that time of the day, the players, especially the ones that know that they're playing that night, are either napping or just sort of hanging out in the room. They've already had their lunch and they've already had their team meeting. And it's just chill time. And instead, Dwight's in there. and, And this, to me, makes sense, though, because we don't know about LeBron yet. And Vogel has been pretty clear that for right now, he's going to go to the one big and then play LeBron as the small, which we did, just did the whole previous podcast about. <laughs> so so 
And I think that Dwight even mentioned in the walk-off, he didn't clarify it after, but Vogel may have even told him that this is the plan once again. Like, we're going to start DJ. We're probably going to. And so he was, as he said, he was a little bit bummed about that, even though I think it was something that Vogel had already said to the media, at least, in the previous game. And and then to get to DJ. So, f- let's see. DJ, four minutes and 22 seconds into the game, and the Lakers are are down four. And there must have been some way that Vogel had been discussing, here's what we're going to do with screen roll, especially with Rashawn Holmes. This is how Sacramento scores a lot of their points when Holmes is in there. And I want us to do this. And there was, so he pulls Jordan goes over and this is right in front of where my seat is. And they're clearly discussing something, which I can only posit is screen roll defense. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's some other concept in defense that they're discussing as well. And, and I, this is where I'm, I'm eager to hear what Pete has to say. Cause I'm sure he watched this over. Uh, that stint of plays and what so then after the game Vogel says at halftime he lit into the whole team about not following some of the concepts and (laughs) Uh basically like this is how we play here I've been telling you over and over again Dwight you know how to do it go do it go show us how to do it and and that was I think that was what I could posit from it so now from the basketball standpoint, Pete, I'm, this is where I, I want you to get into the weeds. Like, what was happening with DJ? What was he not doing on screen roll? What was Dwight doing? And wh- what was the difference? So I'm not sure if it was screen roll or if it was transition defense. Transition defense in particular was something that a couple of the guys alluded to in the postgame comments. Like, Russ was like, what was the, di-? you know, he got asked, what was the difference? He was like, we got back in transition D. Our transition defense has not been a topic on the pod yet this season, and it will be because we're going to cover everything, you know, at some point, ideally. But for a team that, that likes to run and that is playing at the second fastest pace in the league or whatever, our transition defense has been crap. And so I think there was a play. So Pete, mm-hmm. 18, 18 fast break points uh, for the Kings in the first half. Right. 18 and five in the second half. So these are like, so from Vogel's perspective, and one of the things that I've always liked about his defensive approach is that he's very much a stickler for the correctables, which is what I call them, which are the things that no matter how good or bad or how little or much defensive talent you have, anybody in the league can do that. We did another pod before the LeBron at the five pod was on the little things. These are those little things, right? And transition defense is full of all of these different things where it's like, it's very simple what you have to do. It's not some big X's and O's. You don't need your coach to give you a fiery halftime speech. And part of what the part of what I heard of Vogel's halftime speech that I loved was he was like, look, either you're going to play better defense or just shut up about the championship. (laughs) You know, like that was kind of like, you got to pick one. If you're going to play defense like this, all you guys have been in the league long enough to know that that's not going to cut it. We've got two teams at the top of the West that played a great game last night that have been scorching that that's the level we have to get to. And in order to get there, we have to have some sort of defensive fuel underlying our performance. And so transition defense is a great area of that's full of correctables. Sprint back on, you know, have back responsibility. Make sure you're communicating, pointing to your guy. Make sure that there's just some degree of running instead of jogging D. It's all of these simple things, but it takes a level of engagement and effort to do them. And I think that hitting that point in particular, I, DJ, I saw an, um, a transition mistake that DJ made to answer your question, Mike, that I think that it was more that, but I could be wrong. It may be screen and roll defense. Yeah. And just to close this specific part of the pod up, 
DJ wasn't good in screen roll defense either. There's a certain activity level and transition defense is particularly important as a big man if you, because Frank does not care if you go to the offensive glass. He is not one of those coaches mm, that says, mm-hmm. no, 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 yes. don't go to the offensive glass. We need everyone back. But he's trusting his big men then. If you go to the offensive glass, you better sprint your ass back and find responsibility in transition. And if the big man is rim running and you force a guard to pick up your guy who rim runs, you better mark and find in transition and make sure that you're out there. Don't run your lazy ass back into the paint and look around and point and being like, oh, where's the guy at? Who is it? You know, you went to the offensive glass. Your dude ran. He's no longer even in the screen. You're not in the screen frame. And so find someone. You can't guard a rim runner by rim jogging. No, and you can't, you have to help your teammates when they help you. Right? That's right. And that's what team defense is. And team defense is not just being on a string in the half court. It's accountability in transition as well. And it's particularly important for your big guys if they're going to go to the offensive glass. And Vogel wants his big guys to go to the offensive glass. The thing, and and I'd love to transition here unless, Mike, you have something else to say about no, this. No, I just, I just had a little point about it. I just, there was so, there was enough gesticulating from Jordan and then basically talking to Rondo for the rest of the game that that's why I thought it has to be something more than just transition defense where it's like, get your ass back. Cause there's no, you know, how many movements can you, can you kind of, it's like, nope, there's only one movement for transition defense back. (laughs) You know, great point. This is a great point, Mike. And, and so it's probably a combination of a lot of things. There are a couple of, you know, ball screen. And also we had been showing higher on ball screen. So maybe it was something where they wanted DJ to come up more because it looked like our normal drops. Because I even texted you guys last night. I was like, I was looking for the smoking gun play on DJ and I didn't find it. I, I, and so I was like, okay, they talked a lot about transition. So it was like kind of putting circumstantial evidence to, together. Let's take, we got to take a break, guys. We got to take our first break. Let's come back. Keep going on this. Lakers basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out and transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com slash LFR today and use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets. Are you looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic? Why not save time and money with Stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you're selling online or running an office or side hustle, Stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. Access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip and get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. 
Save time and money this holiday season with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code FILMROOM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code FILMROOM. All right, so we're just talking during the break about uh, kind of trying to find the clues about what was it that happened that that led to this. And I both of you guys ended on kind of the same point. D, describe the so play to us. There was a ball screen action between I think Rashawn Holmes and Tyrese Halliburton. And so THT is defending and so is DeAndre. And it's a side ball screen right side of the floor. Halliburton spreads out his dribble and fades to the baseline and he hits like a pull-up jumper. And Halliburton and he's yes, alone. And, and he is more than alone. He is on Halliburton Island. And <laughs> DJ is sort of he he played this in a weird angle where he not only dropped, but he dropped way like almost slid parallel with the lane line. And so while Halliburton is drifting further away from the basket, DeAndre's not even like staying equal distance with him. He's he like dropped lower and lower, almost as if, oh, well, when you miss, I'm going to get the rebound. And he didn't miss. He made it. And then a couple of possessions later, DeAndre actually had a good contest. And then the next deep like defensively and then. A possession after that, he had that great like second and third effort offensive rebound. And then a possession after that, he's on the bench having an animated conversation with Frank Vogel. And so that I and and mind you, and so when he makes that mistake, like most of the time, this is what I'm looking for on tape is like, oh, the player makes the mistake. You always see the coach turn to the bench signal or say something and you know that guy gets up off the bench and he's taking his warm-ups off and is walking over to the scorer's table that's not what happened it when, wasn't when dj made those bad plays it was not one of those oh dwight go get him and so a couple plays go by and then at the very end ad gets fouled and he's uh he he thought he was going to go to the free throw line but it was sideline out of bounds but anyway there's like 30 seconds or so where of dead time and Dwight's not coming in at the beginning of that either, but there's some conversation that's yes. going on. And then, and then at the end of that, you see Dwight running like onto the court, taking off his warmups. So it wasn't like my point being like, that was not the plan. It didn't look like. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So just one quick point about Vogel. He is not a show you up sort of coach he is not, not a all. turn around yell at the bench and be like see this mfr right here isn't doing the thing right. that we talked like because and there are there coaches, are coaches like, that. Yes. like that there definitely are coaches like like that and vogel is not one one of them so it would not surprise me if during that sort of like like that ad is sort of just like no that's an and one because i remember that play mm -hmm. like that's an and one why aren't i shooting and the refs are sort of congregating amongst themselves for a second it would not surprise me if at that point there's sort of a conversation about hey we need you to step up and do yada 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 and it wouldn't surprise me if dj was just like i just did it because mm. he did mm. and frank's just mm -hmm. like no 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 a couple of possessions ago and dj's just like Maybe saying, well, I just got that old rebound or whatever. Like, who knows what was being said? It, it could be it any could, of a could number be, of like, things. I, but something got but said. Some, something got said. Yes. That, yeah. And there, it would not surprise me if there was a disagreement about something. And when you're the head coach and you disagree with, with a player, guess what happens? You win yeah. in that situation. There is no time. Yeah. Like, there may be conversations, Mike, in different arenas where there's a disagreement between a player and a coach. And the coach loses. 
In, right. Unless now it's harder to win one of those when it's LeBron. Yes. I will say. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> because then you're not even really, you're just not even making the final point. You're just kind of taking the L. Yes. Right? No, no you coach. always have to, you always have to look. There is, we've talked so much about the dissonance between Vogel's style and philosophies and this particular roster. Vogel's job is to advocate for his perspective while adapting to what he has. Both things have to be true. He has to be the adult in the room on yeah. defense a lot of times, right? And the guy that's being a nag about making that rotation, about sprinting back on defense and doing all of that. If he doesn't do that, Mike, if he doesn't stand up to a LeBron James to advocate for his basketball principles, then this is not going to work. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. I was more kidding about it, but it just there are there there are a couple of exceptions was the point. But he for sure it's it's hard. Even in yeah. his post game though, he was very he was very clear about the basketball things that he believes in, and he's maintained mm-hmm. that that when, when, when like a lot of the questions this year have been okay, Frank. So the defense isn't playing well. Do you have the personnel, you know, to for it to be able to to do what you want? And he will. N- hey, Frank, do you guys just suck? <laughs> That's basically the been the gist of a lot of the defensive questions, or, or just the players that have have not been good on defense previously in their careers. Can you somehow get them to be to just try harder and to engage more and to execute a scheme sure. more? And he has to believe that he can, because otherwise, what's the point of a coach? But. But amen. It, but like, but they're also we also have to then give him some rope and be like, okay, you can get this guy to play better, but you're not going to be able to get him to be a different player. And that's a kind of mm-hmm. a thing that we talk about with Darius all the time, like with the okay, but show yeah, me that you're really me. good because you can do it physically, but will you do it mentally? Yeah. And I think that last night was kind of a here's Frank now. Hey, look, we put this on tape. What I think is the really difficult thing for Frank and for anybody is is now to then get that again the next game against a team that has watched your tape, that saw you play that way, above your capability probably defensively, and then they're going to come out with a little bit of, of a different focus. So event, I guess the answer is both. Like You cannot motivate a team of guys that doesn't have the requisite talent defensively for 82 games to do it because they're just they're playing against other NBA teams. But there are there going to be pockets where you can really yell at him and get him to go win a game? Like, yes, Frank Vogel won them that game last night. It's just that it's it's difficult for him to do that repeatedly until he gets certain personnel um, back that he doesn't have to get on. That he like he doesn't have to yell at you for you to play good defense. And that's the issue. So here's the thing, though. I, I agree with there has to be an internal motivation to do it so with DJ. Even if if you're going to play two bigs, right? And, you know, and Vogel has said this, that this messes up our offensive spacing, it, like up front, full stop. If you're going to do that, I want that too big lineup to at least kick ass on defense. And the Dwight Howard that we saw last night, now how often he can do that. Uh, I, I was talking to Dr. Brar recently and he was like, hey, you know, Dwight sometimes takes time to ramp up physically. This is something that he pays much more attention much closer attention to than I do. And he's less worried about that. So that's one of the comforting things I've I've thought about Dwight. We had a good conversation yesterday about Dwight, about like, hey, there are some lineups where Dwight's been he's been been pretty good. He's been helpful. Alongside Russ. Alongside mm-hmm. Russ. He's been helpful. Yep. Right. And here's the thing. We are at our heart and and core an attacking team. The good of that, the bad in that, we are the Dothraki in Game of Thrones. We are, you know, these we're attackers. 
DJ just fundamentally as a player does not fit that mentality, right? In terms of Dwight is an MF for on defense when he wants to be, when he plays like that, there was a play in Phoenix is on this Phoenix is a wonderful team and they didn't lose in November. No, they didn't lose in November. They're on the 17 game winning streak. There's a preseason game. They've kicked our asses for like several consecutive times, but there was a stretch during the preseason in one of the many games that we've, we've played against them where like the teams don't like each other. And every once in a while in a preseason game, like somebody will piss someone else off and just spirits get inflamed for whatever reason that competitiveness gets unlocked. And we had AD and Dwight on the floor and Aiton was on the floor too. I think Chris Paul was on the floor and everybody is just playing harder than they normally would in a preseason game for this particular stretch. And AD and Dwight are just physically dominating this game. We go on a 14-0 run. It's like one of the only <laughs> good parts of the preseason or like where we looked good. And it has struck me that there's an attacking nature to Dwight's defense and an aggressiveness and a bullyishness that Dwight brings defensively that that's not DJ. Darius, that, no. Dar- DJ is a laying back. How, how many times have, have you mentioned about like the motor and about the uh, and, and so do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's so counter to what we need to be that if you're going to play two bigs, let's at least like like we have to attack even then. And when we played Dwight, we played in that third quarter. Dwight was playing and we were running up and down the floor, yes. man. We were playing it at a high rate, at a high rate, great pace and tempo. This is the point I've been making, though, for, I don't know, months. Like you need to get stops if you want to play fast. Sure. Right. And you have to play the big. And look, I'm sympathetic to Vogel, but I'm empathetic to the entire team needing to be doing, needing to sort of see the path that they believe in in order to play at the level that they're going to play at or that you need them to play at if they're actually going to come close to reaching their goals. Right. And there is a middle lane in that where Vogel is going to get some of what he wants and the players are going to get some of what they want. And then now we're, now we're holding hands together and going through this threshold and breaking through. And last night, second half was like the ultimate example of that against a not great Sacramento Kings team, but I'm worried less about the Lakers opponents right now and and focusing solely on what they're doing. And Dwight is making his case and it's the same case that he had made in 2019-20. And honestly, it's the case that was made when they brought him back. So the idea of Dwight Howard, and we had talked about this in the preseason, the Lakers like Dwight in a very specific role. They like him in right. the energy big off of the bench that can change a game defensively. And, that, and the bruiser role, right? Yes. Like the bigger, the guy that can handle the guys who are 280. Yeah. And that's what he did in this game. What the Lakers also need is a sort of high energy, I'm going to like be a disruptor defensively in the starting lineup. And they also need some ruggedness at the other forward positions. And they also then need some guards who can do some things. Now, what they have not been able to find in the starting lineup is that formula while keeping some of these reserve guys in the roles that they envision them being in. And that has been the issue. Perfectly said. And that has been the issue with Dwight 
I think, is Dwight probably should be starting. I think that that's clear. He made at least if you're playing two bigs. If you're playing two bigs, start Dwight Howard. Yes. I think there's a bigger question of should the Lakers be playing three bigs? And I think the answer to that question is no. So, Mike, help us find the synergy here with this a little bit then, because I don't want to say that you're a proponent of playing bigger. I think you're a proponent of the Lakers winning basketball games because that makes everyone's life better, especially the sideline reporter. And, and, <laughs> and help us find the synergy here because you're not going to get that Dwight Howard every night. But the things that Dwight does bring to the table, energy, effort defensively, real effort on the offensive glass, just sort of that bad MF or attitude. Those are important things every single night. And I don't think he can be the guy who's getting the DNPs. Right. The idea that I like is still largely to use either Dwight or DJ. If I had to pick between the two, it's more often not going to be D, uh, going to be Dwight. But I think that Dwight benefited from not playing the last couple of games, even if he had a workout, you know, a strength workout at the hotel. And so there might be a couple of times where – like, OK, Dwight's he's he's looking like he's needs a little bit of a break. DJ, now's your time. Go in there and kick some ass like when he's been having to sit and watch a little bit. So you're so basically use them both. But even if we want to lean more towards Dwight and then on those on those other nights, just start AD at the five, you know, and then sure, you can still use one of those guys off the bench if you want to. Or in those case, in that case, you can still use LeBron as the backup five. And, and it will especially see once Ariza comes back if that can allow you to even play a little bit smaller in that sense but I I would just use them both not depend on either one of them for big minutes because of the stage that their career's at and lean towards Dwight in the moments that you need I think what you just said there Mike speaks to a broader point that can be applied to the whole roster so let's take a quick break talk about some of the the possibilities and what ifs as this Lakers team continues to become what it's going to become We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So your, your story, Mike, about being in the uh, in the hotel gym and Dwight getting a workout in that's something that like players if they know they're out of the rotation you won't lift during a game day right that's that's something that a player won't normally do so it does speak to the idea that Dwight did not expect to play but part of that too is like Dwight got benched he probably has feelings about that right like and that is something that even there he just got left off of this top 75 list and his coach just benched him 
Dwight's one of the great all-time defensive fives, and he's probably feeling a certain degree of like, oh, they're they don't know who I am or they don't remember who I am. Well, and we prob- know he's an emotional guy too. Right. So how do you think Dwight Howard feels right now? Just about the whole circumstances of his basketball reputation and all of that. Uh, a motivated Dwight Howard is a, a force to be reckoned with. The thing, though, about older players, and you were speaking to this before the break, Mike, is that they can only do it for so long. I think that I, that there's an argument to be made that expanding the rotation by a player or two is something that would benefit everybody, where you're asking Carmelo Anthony to play at this fast pace for 15 minutes instead of 18 to 20, you know, or DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard, all of that. So that that's one angle of this, D. But it's also, we've talked so much about the alchemy of the team and specific five-player lineups where if you have one guy that doesn't quite fit, then you may have completely different results. I'd love to talk more about Malik Monk. Hopefully we'll do that in, in the next pod. We'll still stay focused on Dwight here. But as soon as, we didn't start that third quarter well. No. THT started. I think we were down 14 and he actually had, he got some, some looked like an injury or a tweak to his leg. He had that awkward collision with Rashawn Holmes. Mm-hmm. We got kicked by, that's what it was. He got kicked uh, in, in the knee, I think by AD. Anyway, he goes out, we're down by 14. We had not started the third quarter well. Malik Monk comes into the game and all of a sudden the game changes right away and we go on that mega run. And so it's Russ, two bigs and two shooters, D. It's, and it's, Two bigs that are dominating defensively, two shooters that are spacing the floor. I I was just like uh, one one tear just trickled down my cheek as as I watched that. Well, I'm sure for Frank Vogel too, right? <laughs> like this is the little bit of every, like a little bit for you, a little bit for me. Let's That's all the path. like That's the path. L- let's all get there together, right? And we will have to talk more about the Monk and Russ synergy. Mm-hmm. Um. There is a lot of good lining up data that supports those two being on the court together and sort of how they can complement each other well. That said, the construct of that lineup was interesting. What I found most interesting is that as Dwight and AD were really ramping up their defensive intensity, Monk and Ellington played to the best versions of themselves on that end as well Mm -hmm. and then that allows them to stay on the floor for them to then find a rhythm for then to have their offense be as impactful as it was right and the construct of these lineups is super important and there's a balance that i think is constantly being sought out and is shifting based off of the limitations and the performance of the players on on any give, given night. We've talked a lot about Dwight's ability to reach that apex that he reached in the second half of, of that Kings game and how it's, that apex isn't going to be there. It's not going to be available to him every single, single night. Neither is Malik Monk hitting step-back threes or Wayne Ellington being able to block a buddy heel jumper mm-hmm. in isolation, right? Like there was a lot of stuff that happened in in this game where it's just like, oh, well, look at that. But look at that does not mean I'm going to expect that the next game as well. But I think seeking out these lineup types, Mike, that strike the right balance because the Lakers have been out of balance in a lot of these these lineups. It's it's like 
frank and i understand why he's tried to be like oh well give me the second big right and that's a lot of time been deandre like give me the ball pressure defensive guard and a lot of times that's been avery bradley when in reality it might just be well give me the defensive big and that should be dwight and then give me the shooting right and yeah. I may not get all the defense, but I'm going to open things up more offensively. And, and that balance that hasn't been there, I thought made itself available to Frank um, against the Kings, A, because of injuries, and B, because he maybe just got fed up with DeAndre and was just like, yeah, I'm not going back to you this game. And then he pulled THT, too. And I said this in our text thread, but felt like a very 2019 Frank Vogel coach game where it's just like, no, man, like I'm pulling these levers tonight. I'm not just going to let these guys do whatever. And I thought it was super effective. But a point that I think Mike has been making over the course of the pod is that it's hard to coach that way every single night. Right. It's hard to be the guy who is just like, all right, well, this lineup's not working. We're going to that or I'm going to coach that because coaches Pete and you know this they strive for a certain amount of consistency mm-hmm. they want they want familiarity they want consistency they want reliability they want routine coaches want routine just like players want routine mm-hmm. and there is a comfort in being able to go to those same lineups over and over again and I don't know if Vogel has that luxury, but he seemed to find something with that group last night that I thought was super interesting. The lineup stuff with, I'm trying to think about this in the context of like the next couple of games without LeBron, because in that context, I love the idea, right? Of having Ellington and Monk on one side of the floor or the other, having THG come in off the bench instead, and then be able to kind of stagger some of the playmaking duties there. And I, I, I kind of want to kick that to Pete, though, because what I what I need to do is watch the game back to get a little bit of a sense defensively of how Monk and Ellington are holding up with that group. But if you've got Dwight and AD who know how to play together in the back line and can cover for stuff, then maybe that's fine. Whereas when it's like even if it's DJ and AD where there isn't that kind of synchronicity yet, maybe it doesn't work as well. But that's that's just a a how it should work concept. But I'm curious what you saw defensively from Monk and Ellington and how they can manage that. Well, I think the the point is that it is going to be high variance. And Darius's point about coaches like reliability and consistency is well made. It's also not always the job that you have in front of you. It's not always the circumstances that you're handed. Even if look, even if we were healthy, this first part of the season, there would have been growing pains. There would have been a process of like, of changing. And there's been all these external circumstances that have jumped in and further complicated an already complex situation. And so there's been a lot of failure within that. And so the, the, the point is that no, Malik Monk's not going to – remember he had the eight rebounds the night yeah. against Indiana? And in some ways, like it's a yes and no. In some ways, do I can I rely on Malik Monk to get me eight rebounds every night? Absolutely not. But can I ask Malik Monk in a LeBron at the five lineup to get a running start and fly through the sky when he's on the weak side to crash down because we got a gang rebound because we're in a especially small lineup? Absolutely. And that's going to mean there's going to be some tip balls. There's going to be some, you know, big feels a little bit of pressure up his back and fumbles the uh, rebound that would have otherwise been an offensive rebound. Like it, it's something where we can't 
be so geared toward the result right now. And I'm guarantee you Vogel's in a similar place that it's very process based and like we're and in some ways we've been frustrated about a cake that's baking that's 10 minutes into it. And it's like, this cake looks like shit. And it's like, of course it does, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but the point is that that these are very high variance players because they're vet minimum players. And it will be a constant struggle to find the button to push from one night. What if Malik doesn't have his jumper last night? Do you play him? Like, is it Austin minutes instead? And what I'm saying, is it THT? Do you go back to THT? There are all of these difficult questions that Vogel will have to answer throughout the season. But I think the fundamental point is that you can rely on Dwight Howard. I want to close on that idea of reliability, of I know what you're going to do when you're out on the floor. The fact that Kent Bazemore went from starting to being completely out of the rotation on a team that does not have many good defensive guards, to me, speaks volumes about Vogel's mentality and what he's looking for. And I think the the what happened with DJ last night speaks to this as well. It's I have to be able to count on you to do to execute this job. When you're in this spot, you understand the coverage, you understand where you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to execute it. I can work with your weaknesses and your limitations, but I can't work with your lack of reliability. And that's the rules for low role players, right? Is don't do stupid things. Don't do things that kind of break up the bigger thing that we're trying to accomplish. And Dwight Howard, to me, this this period of games where LeBron is going to be out in, in health and safety protocols – by the announcement before of that, hey, we're going to play a lot more LeBron at the five minutes, it kind of sets up this dynamic where there's about this 10-day window where it's going to be DJ versus Dwight for the one available spot that we have for a true seven-footer. And if that dynamic is true and if that's the case, Dwight at least has a 10-8 first round and it may have been a, a knockout blow. I want to talk about some Malik Monk tomorrow and we'll do that. Uh, it, he's been really a joy to watch. He's been one of my favorite new guys on the team. And so I really want to get into the weeds on Malik. We'll be back to talk about, uh, about him and more tomorrow on the next episode of the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans well, standing so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. 
Trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.